Hey everybody, Josh Sheridan here with the Barely Legal Podcast. On today's show, one of my all-time heroes, Chris Bryant, he is uh such a dynamic individual, such an amazing human being with an amazing story. Uh, I've been wanting him on the show since since I started the show, and, and luckily he had today off. He and his son Nick actually rode their bikes here from uh, downtown, and so uh, I got I got an hour out of his day to kind of talk to him about his trials and tribulations and 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 his uh, philosophies on life in the world. Um, again, just a shout out to uh, Distill D I S T I L sunglasses, distillunion.com, sunglasses, wallets, iPhone cases, keychains. Uh, they've been nice enough to give us a, a promotional code for Barely Legal Podcast. You want to go on their website, put in Barely Legal Podcast at checkout, and they'll give you a discount on those items. So thank you again to Distill. Chris, I am uh, uh, more than Bubba, more than Joe Redner Sr., more than anybody. You have been one of the people I've been looking to most to coming here. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, I'll give a shout out to uh, Distill as well. Those are some smoking cool glasses. I, I hope I, if, if, I can, on you. if I can sell one one of them for them, it's going to be a huge win for me. Yeah, I might be getting one. I'm actually, an influencer. So. I'm an influencer. So um, – there's so many things that we could talk about. Our, our mutual love for acai bowls, uh, oh. your time as a uh, professional pitcher for the Cubs and their yeah. farm team, uh, our love and, and shared uh, appreciation of live music. Um, so much to go through, but let's let's start off with how we know each other. So my wife, Dina, and your wife, Lisa, are cousins, correct? That is correct. And I have to... I don't know when it was that I first met you, but I my first memory of you was at Club Prana in Ybor City, and it was the night that Derek Jeter was there. Do you remember this night? I do, but I've got you Trump. But okay, okay, okay. I just remember people people were there, and there was whispers that Derek Jeter was coming in that night, and I think he walked in, and he was kind of low key, but then the place blew up when a second individual walked in and it was, it was a young Chris Bryant who came in and he was just <laughs> dancing. You look like John Travolta or something. You're just pointing at everybody and dancing and you got moves. I got moves, man. It's uh it's part of my upbringing. Uh, Claremel city, a shout Claire out, Mel. you know, uh, we, we kind of, uh, we just knew how to get down at a young age. So thank you, because I would I would be so upset with myself if we got through this interview without me talking about the phenomenon of Claire Mel. So I have, never even heard of it until I met you and you told me all these stories. And since I've done this podcast, Dave Decker, uh, you know, I met Rob Sexton over at planet, uh, retro in, uh, uh, over in St. Pete. Sure. Uh, Keith O'Ray over here at micro groove. I know Brian Schaefer, uh, who runs skate park at Tampa is from clear. So clear Mel seems to be this breeding ground for these, strange beings that kind of just have personalities that are turned all the way up to 11. How do you account for that? Well, it's just, uh, you know, lower mid-class, you know, it's almost like the outsiders, the movie, yeah, the yeah, outsiders, sure. yeah, yeah. um, Claire Mel, you know, 
you got to survive, you know, from the time that you're born, uh, getting raised in that environment. I mean, it was an awesome upbringing. Honestly, I didn't realize Claire Mel was a little crazy until I went to high school. And my first girlfriend's parents were like, you can't go there after dark. Yeah. And I'm like, man, you know, because it was just a normal upbringing to me. But it was lower middle class. When you come from the wrong side of the tracks, you don't know the wrong side of the tracks. Ag- agreed. And yeah. I mean, like I said, I, my upbringing was pretty awesome from from all accounts, you know, playing baseball and just having so many great friends that we ran that neighborhood. You yeah. know what I mean? It was we owned it. Yeah. And uh, and again, it was just there was fights. There was tough people. I mean, you learn to kind of get through life and uh, and really respect individuals, uh, respect points of view, uh, or you got beat up. You know what right. I mean? So right. uh, that's just the nature of it. Now, were you you were born there or? Yeah, I was born in McDill Air Force Base, believe it Were you really? Not. I was. I didn't Born know in that. McDill Air Force Base. My mother was 17 years old. Okay. Um, and, and this is, this is a, I'm pretty certain this is 100% accurate. I was probably conceived on unemployment beach. Oh, wow. Right on Gandhi Boulevard. When you cross over into St. Pete on Gandhi, left-hand side, I'm pretty certain I was born August 13th. It was probably the, the, my mom was young, probably the Thanksgiving holiday or Christmas break. And she met my father, uh, who I really never developed a huge relationship with. I've met him a few times in my life, but, uh, I'm pretty certain because my mother used to, that's all I remember of her growing up really. And other than just having her as my mother sure. uh, in and out of my life, but just, we always tended to, to go out there. It was There's significant about that to has, that area. Right. Maybe the drugs, maybe the alcohol, just day drinking. I don't know. And did, when, growing up, did you live in the household with her? Were you raised by somebody else? Or? I was. I was raised by my grandmother. Okay. So from the time I got home from the hospital, my grandfather, my biological grandfather. Tip your cap up a little bit so it doesn't keep there again. Okay. So my biological grandfather was in the military. Yeah. Uh, he served in World War II. What, in, what branch? Uh, U.S. Army. Okay. Yep. From West Virginia. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, he met my grandmother, uh, who was a German um, during World War II. I'm sure a lot of servicemen married German women. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in World War II at, at the end of that. So they had my mother who was born in, in, in Germany. Then they moved back to the States, made, you know, Claire Mel uh, a home. Uh, my grandfather, though, passed away about, you know, August 1st of 1975. I was born August 13th, 74. Okay. So just, you know, I, I think about that, too, uh, quite often how my first birthday must have been like a lot of sadness. A lot of bittersweet. Yeah. yeah so, um, but yeah, my mother born and raised there. And, uh, and then she was in and out of my life. My mother struggled with addiction her whole life, Yeah, you know, and, uh, and you know, that's, that's all I really knew of her. Do you have any siblings? I have a sister 10 years younger than me. We have different fathers. Okay. Shout out to Alicia Marsky. Is she here locally uh, or where is she? She is. Yeah. 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 You've met her a few times. I think at the beach. That's right. Uh, But they live in a, her and her, uh, her husband, Carl, they have uh, three children, two of their own, uh, cool story about Alicia is she had back-to-back twins. Oh, wow. Now, the first set of twins, uh, you know, the little boy, a uh, little girl, excuse me, uh, Taylor passed away. Oh, wow. Um, you know, within a, you know, they were born premature. Sure. Tyler's doing well. He's uh, he's about 16 years old now. But uh, Christelle and Mariah are Carl's, her husband now. They're twins. And shout out to them. Happy birthday. Their birthday just passed recently. So, um, but yeah, and they live in, uh, in Valrico. Florida, not far away. We see each other quite often. Now you got into baseball pretty early in life, right? Yes. You played, did the whole little league circuit, all that deal. I did. Um, really it, 
it came to to be when just and I'll just tell a little bit of this here. I was a very insecure kid, you know, quite frankly, being raised by my grandmother, just me and her, sure. my mother in and out of our lives. My grandfather had passed away. I was super shy. I really didn't have any direction in my life. Right. Um, now, my grandmother, you know, our neighbors were in the military. A lot of MacDill people moved to Claremont really? City. It was cheap housing. Okay. And it was built, If you know, we can look this up, but I think originally it was built for the military. Oh, wow. Community. Like a little enclave. Absolutely. For, okay. for McDill Air Force Base right there. Crosstown goes right through. There's an exit. Uh, 78th Street is the exit on the Crosstown to get yeah. to Claremont Mill City. And uh, so uh, my grandmother met a man, Donald Eck. He was uh, the father of Paul and his wife, Annie. Okay. Uh, they lived right next door to us. And then we would start seeing him at dinner, or at least I did. And then all of a sudden, you know, dude's moving in to yeah. my house. Oh, wow. But it was the greatest thing to happen to me. I needed a father figure. You got some figure. direction. Absolutely. Yeah. And he was ex-military, was working for the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. Oh, wow. And uh, just a hard-nosed dude, like straight line. And uh, so he got me involved in baseball because a lot of my neighbors were playing Little League. Right. And we'd see them show up. It was always cool because back then kids would wear their uniforms in school. Oh, for sure. Game day. Your like, stirrups oh, and all your... Oh, yeah. So I used to just uh, just want to be part of that. And I had a great arm. Yeah. Like, uh, shout Did out... Did you know that early on or is that something that developed over time? Or? No, early on. I mean, just as a young kid, I would play in the neighborhoods, like just running around barefooted and like, and I was able to hold my own with older kids, you know, whether it was hitting, you know, acorns with tennis rackets or, or throwing the football or baseball. But um, one of my best friends growing up, Rodney Cribs, his father, uh, Rodney Sr., had coached Rodney in Little League. Uh-huh. So he had encouraged because he had seen me throw in with Rodney in the streets like, hey, this this kid could probably be Got pretty good at baseball. Yeah. And then at, I started a little bit later at nine years old. And uh, yeah, and I got into baseball and the rest was history. I found something, I mean, immediately. And I think that's what's so important for children is that other than, you know, video games today and all the TV and Some stuff. Some kind of identity can, or something. Yeah, there's something that you're passionate about because that became my life. And uh, it really elevated me to some a lot of good friends. Where did you go to high school? I went to high school at Brandon High. Okay, and you pitched all four years there? Uh, three years because okay. junior high, we were you know eighth and ninth grade at Dowdell okay. over there, and then Brandon tenth, eleventh, and twelfth grade. Right. Yep. Wow. And were you a starter? Were you a reliever? What were your? Well, my first year, uh, you know, we we had a team that was basically ranked number four in the nation. Oh wow! The year before, they could have been national champions. Uh, they had played a team out of uh, Altamont Springs at a baseball. Remember base, uh, baseball, baseball World? Yeah, yeah. What was it? Base, was it Baseball uh, Boardwalk and Baseball. Boardwalk and Baseball. Yeah, yeah. So that was where the state tournaments were. Right. So that next year, we had like just a team that was stacked. A guy you may have heard, Danny Graves, sure. uh, went to University of Miami. Uh, on to play for the Cincinnati Reds, and I believe he's. How old are you? We're a couple years apart, I think. I'm 45. I'll be 46 in a month. Okay, so we're one. Yeah, in December I'll be 45. So okay. we're, we're right at about a year. Yeah, yeah. Because when because when I uh, right around the time we were in high school, like A Rod was coming out of was it South Florida or Oh yeah, he was the same year I was drafted. Yeah, and then we had a guy Mike. Uh, was it Mike D'Amico or Jeff D'Amico? Jeff D'Amico, yeah, uh, Jeff D'Amico. Northeast High School. Yeah, when I was at Northeast I, High I School, I played with him. Yeah, in a lot of tournaments. So anyway. Um, yeah, there's a lot of talent coming out and going pro at that time. And let me tell you a story too, real quick. You sure. mentioned Alex Rodriguez. Sure. So my senior year, um, you know, we made, I made this all-star team, uh, the FACA. It's like the 
firefighters of America or something. And it was in Sebring. So you had an east, west, north, south team. And uh, I was on the west team, obviously, with a lot of Jeff D'Amico was on the team. Actually, Jeff, myself, and a kid, Troy Carrasco, uh, who was a lefty yeah. at Jesuit, super, yeah. super stud lefty. Um, we pitched the first the first game that year, but before that game, you know, you go up to Sebring. We all drove up there, and it's like a three day weekend. It's a tournament, and we're at this beautiful old school hotel. And I remember the year before playing in this tournament with Alex Rodriguez when he was in eleventh grade. Right. You know, it's just kind of a beanpole skinny yeah, guy, yeah. but super good. And then he just transformed, and he was the number one overall prospect in the country. Nobody could Miami Westminster, so. I hadn't seen him in over a year. I walk into Sebring, and when, when you talk about somebody who's going to be a future star, and there's like an aura, like this dude was so good looking, like six foot three, just ripped up, and just there was an a star aura. power. Yeah, there was just there was something different about Rodriguez, and I remember we had like a dinner that night where they introduced everybody and gave you your award and your medal, and that night we. He's standing like just catty corner to my room. I'm staying with this kid uh, from Jesuit, another, not Troy, but another a second baseman. I can't remember his name. But we end up going to Alex's room uh-huh. and we're having pizza and sports centers on. And I'm sitting next to Rodriguez on the bed. And all of a sudden, this shows the draft special. The draft's in a week. Right. And this is like the last showcase. Sure. Surprised he even pre- played in that game because a lot of people get scared about getting Injured hurt or themselves something. or whatever. But, uh, all of a sudden, Peter Gammons is on, and it shows – this is back when Kyle Ripken was playing, 93. Yeah. It shows Kyle Ripken on this special, and then all of a sudden it shows Rodriguez kind of being blended in. And, yeah. And then I'm looking at this guy, and there's this like 30-minute specials on this person next to me. Did he have an ego, or was he pretty humble? There or? was a little of an ego. Who wouldn't have? I well, had sure. an ego, and I wasn't near that guy. Yeah. You, know, you just develop that when everybody's – It kind of helps you, right? I mean, it, if you're you – especially as a pitcher. You, you man, have you gotta, to have a, an ego. You have to have a chip. The people that succeed, honestly, and I never really care. I don't think I'd carried an ego off the field, even though there was probably some part of it, the way I handled girls and and that part of things, I'm sure was very egotistical. But uh, you got to have a chip on your shoulder. You won't be successful. Now, did you get drafted right out of high school? Or did I did. You, okay. So, and uh, what year was that? 93. 93. And what round did Eighth you go? Eighth round. Eighth round. That's and right. who did you go to? To the Chicago Cubs. Were you just over the moon excited? I was. Uh, it was a dream come true. But I, when I when I tell you this, and this is the truth, man, uh, it's all kind of surreal. Yeah. Like I was raised by my grandparents. You and like you got to understand, Tampa was a breeding ground for professional athletes, yeah. especially black professional athletes. And like those were my idols growing up: the Dwight Goodens, the Gary Sheffields, people you probably never heard of. Floyd Yeomans, who was a major leaguer from Hillsborough High. Um, uh, Vance Lovelace. I mean, these dudes were just these incredible athletes that I, I just I admired. I just wanted to say that because um, that's part of the Claremel mystique as well. I mean, it was just so such multicultural and, you know, you just friends from all different backgrounds. And uh, so seeing Dwight Gooden. Gary Sheffield and actually being around that, like Belmont Heights and going to those games and seeing their Corvettes and his Porsche, Dwight Gooden's Porsche, you know, those are the things you those dream Those are the dreams. About. Those are the yeah, things. So when I got drafted, the mistake I made if I, as I go back and being super immature was thinking that I had made it. Yeah. You know, like, oh, and that's, dude, that's just the worst the way you can think about it. Yeah. Well, you can because you get to the first spring training and there's... 
you know, there's a thousand people, you right. know, a thousand, but a couple hundred guys that are just like you. Yeah. Some of them are better because they get a lot more money. Right. You know, so and that's kind of what baseball turns into at that point. What's your bonus? Yeah. You, know, you got a million bucks. You're going to be around for a while. They're going to put a lot of time into you. You know, I got a, I got a pretty good bonus. And, you know, so I got I got some attention for a few years for sure. Now, I know and we'll get to this in, in a few minutes, but faith has become a big part of your life. But at that time, was faith a part of your life? Yes and no. Well, how, um, what, what position did it have in your life? How did you? Well, I, I believed in yeah. a higher power. I believed in Jesus Christ. Uh-huh. And that really, you know, we went back. That stemmed from being raised in Claremont City sure. and being raised by some incredible human beings, not just my family, but incredible men. You know, the Al Molinas, the Cal Libels, the Carlos Similians, the Bill Rice. Rest in peace. Bill just recently passed away. And these men... Um, a couple of them had their own children, but the other ones didn't. And we were their life. And, and most of them were believers and they would take, take these kids on, you know, we'd stay the night at their house on Saturday night and watch and go to movies or wrestle and then go to church in the morning. They, they, they poured their faith in us. And that, that's things that I looked at men that were, that had no, they didn't have to deal with kids. Yeah. But they, they, I mean, that was their full time job. Yeah. Is making sure that we practiced every single day. We, we, we found faith. And, uh, you know, that was an amazing time. So that, and, and girlfriends in high school were Catholic, you know, right. we'd go to a nativity. And so I believed in God. I'd put it there, but you don't practice it. Yeah. You know, it's just a religion at that point in time. Now, uh, when you were the Cubs, where did you where did you go? What teams, what farm teams were you on? What was how did that work out? Well, cool thing is, you know, you get drafted. Uh, I went drafted high enough, and um, after you sign, they fly you to to Chicago, Illinois. Who was coaching Chicago at that time? Uh, that year, it might have been Jim Riggleman. Okay. Who was on the team Don't around that time? Well, I can remember Ryan Sandberg, obviously, okay. Andre Dawson, um, Randy Myers, big lefty reliever, yeah. super crazy guy with stun guns and whips in his locker. <laughs> Just stuff you couldn't do today. Yeah. I mean, guns, like crazy stuff. Back when they smoked in there with yeah. Mark Grace. Don't want to throw him under the bus, but, yeah. you know, smoking cigarettes in the clubhouse. That's yeah. that's 93. Yeah. That's yeah. not too long ago. Yeah. Um, but just these people you idolize growing up and, uh, getting a chance to go to Chicago and see these guys throw a bullpen. And just, you know, before I went off to, to Arizona for like what they call like a, uh, like a, just a mini camp. Sure. But then my first year was Huntington, West Virginia. Oh, wow. Uh, where Marshall University's at. And, uh, what was your pitch? What, what, what tools did you have in your toolbox? Well, you know, I think any pitcher will tell you if they're, if they're, you know, they know what they're talking about. The fastball is going to be your primary pitch pitch. I mean, everybody's got to have that. You've got to be able to locate that pitch and that's going to be the, your bread and butter, you know, being able to locate that. And that's going to set up other pitches. Some guys like you look at a, a Mariano Rivera has got a cut fastball that he's known for and that slider. And they look very similar, but just different right planes and different yeah. velocity. Yeah. So, but I threw a fastball, curveball, slurve, a change. What's up. a slurve? A slurve is in between a slider and a, and, and curve. a, uh, and a curveball, okay. you know, where a curveball is going to be more of a 12 o'clock to six o'clock yeah. bite, right? a slurve is going to be more of like a, a 10 to five, Yeah, you know, or 10 to four. Now, pitchers today versus pitchers back then, has there been a big evolution as far as what they're 
capable of. Or Absolutely. And that's why there's an evolution in arm injuries. Yeah. You know, you got kids now going to these tournaments with 10 U's and they got guns yeah. in the stands. Dad's, you know, hey, he's throwing 60 or he's throwing 55. And it's like, dude, no. Yeah, you're going to bump your You know, arm. because that's all. And they're, and they're playing all these tournaments and for different teams. And Well, our nephew, our, our is he your, what's he? What's he's he a cousin. Do? Cousin to you, nephew yeah. to me, John Kilichowski. I he's think I've mistaked by saying nephew a few we times. We just call him. Yeah. With all these Italians, you just call them whatever. You're yeah. probably right. But, uh, you know, we got to witness his kind of uh, career through Vanderbilt and then the Cardinals. And it's true because, you know, I, I never had it. That was a kid they stuck out in right field just to pick daisies all day long. <laughs> but uh, um, I, I remember we would play, I think, a Thursday night game and a Saturday morning game. And that was it. And the season was like four months or something like that. Yeah. And w- with John growing up, it was like, the Father's Day tournament, the Mother's Day tournament, the Easter tournament, the Hall of Fame league, the da da da. It's all know, about Benjamins, man. Well, they can make a lot of money off of it, but they you do look make at a lot of money. But but the, the pitch count that these kids have on their arms by the point that they're even going to, you know, the pros is like double, triple, whatever it had been, you know, yeah. historically. Well, I threw a lot too. I mean, honestly, we in little league back when I played, we, you know, we played year round. Basically, there was those months where we took off. Yeah. But ultimately, um, you know, I threw, man, you throw bullpens, you, and I think that helps develop arm strength, but we threw a lot of fastballs. You know, I didn't really throw it. And that's, you can still, you know, I think there's scientific proof that curveballs thrown correctly don't really hurt your arm. Mm-hmm. And, but you, you, you'll lose velocity over time throwing more curveballs. The mm-hmm. fastball is what's going to develop your velocity. And the more kids throw fastballs early in their life, you know, the harder they'll eventually throw. If you got, you got a kid who's throwing curveballs nonstop, he's probably not going to develop into, you know, a, a power pitcher, a hard thrower. How long, time. how long did you pitch for the Cubs? I pitched from 93. I got drafted. So a short season until uh, 98. And then I played a year of uh, a year of independent ball with Fargo Moorhead, which was interesting out in Minnesota. And, Minnesota, uh, Minnesota. <laughs> um, so, what? Tell me about the end of your career pitching. How did that come about? Well, that's that's a long long part too. I don't. <laughs> but uh-huh. the end of it, you got to think. Like I told you before, my dreams became true. Sure. But part of my faith now uh, stems from what happened after I got drafted. And part of my story and my testimony is when I got home, like you got to understand, like baseball for me growing up was just something I did. And and there's coaches that steered you to it and you had commitments uh, and you you just played fast forward to becoming a professional. Now it's up to you to become to 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 work out. And and the Cubs at that point and nothing but love for them. But they weren't fully invested in like minor league ball. There were, were a lot of my other friends were going to instructional leagues in the off season and they really had a thumb on you. Those other organizations, maybe the angels, Yankees, the Cubs kind of gave you a big thick book and said, Hey, have fun. We'll see you in March. Yeah. And for somebody like me, that didn't work. And again, that's, that's on me more than I'm not putting yeah. anything on anybody, but for me, uh, I came home, I had all this free time, had a lot of money, and I never did drugs, never really drank in high school at all. I always took Mountain Dews to to parties. Um, you know, that's when things started kind of going to left field. You know, Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, shout out to The Chronic. <laughs> uh, that was in my player. I had yeah. a brand new car uh, and, you know, started first it started with just some weed. 
you know, and then it just, it, it opens up for people like me. I come from my father, from all indications, was a heavy user. My mother died from her addiction. Uh, so um, when I came home for baseball, instead of working at my craft and hitting the gym and running and doing the things that, let me tell you, I had the talent to be a major league player. I don't know if I would have been a superstar, but I would have been a guy who probably played five to eight years and maybe had a relief, occasional spot start. I had that talent. I got people out when I was in the zone. But for the most part, when I came home, I just didn't, I didn't work at it. And over time it catches up to you. And, uh, you know, every year there's a draft in June. Yeah. So. Every year there's left-handed pitchers. And just so happens that 90, it might've been 97, 98. Don't quote me. It's been a bit, but they drafted about four lefties in the top 10 rounds. Yeah. So, you know, it's that uncomfortable conversation, Josh, where, you know, you, you pitch a game, you come into the locker room. Hey, coach wants to see you, you know, and I got demoted already. And, uh, Coach was like, you know, hey, this is the worst thing a coach has to do. Yeah. You know, uh, but we're going to let you, we're going to release you from your contract. And, you know, and that's when, that's when, you know, it's like, okay. Was there depression? Was there, how, how did that, how did that hit you? Yeah. You know, you, at first, not really. I did what I always did. I was like, hell yeah, I'll go home. I'll party with my friends. You know, you just, there's extended adolescence. Yeah. You know, you, you know me, people who may know me right now and live with me day to day. Um, you know, I'm 46, uh, 45 going on like 13 or 14. You know, I've got a, you a sell big yourself heart. short. You gotta, well, I you, do, you but gotta, my point is I've got a maturity level and, and I, I enjoy life. Yeah. But, and I don't mean to sell myself short. Like, listen, I'm successful. I do good things and, and we'll talk some about those, but ultimately um that's how i got by yeah you know that just that 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 you know spirit of just being able to kind of bounce back and but it it hurt yeah. you know coming home seeing that disappointment you know my grandparents invested so much into me especially my grandfather who wasn't my blood um you know he you know there was disappointment you know so now here's their grandson who doesn't have anything to go to what are you going to do in life and then the conversation goes from, hey, Chris, how's baseball? And man, you play pro ball. And now it's like, you know, are you, you know, what's going on now? What do you plan on doing? And those are tough conversations for right. a 23 year old to start having. When did you meet your wife? Ooh, Lisa. So Lisa came in in the perfect storm. And I'll tell you now, um, you know, it was a God thing, period and point blank, uh, period. Uh, and exclamation point, any, any, any ending there. Uh, uh, met her uh, probably... In 1999, 2000, I think 2000. So you were already out of baseball by that I was point. out of baseball, but still, here's the, the kicker. I was still going to these tryouts. Yeah. You know, you still want to You keep, hold out that dream, yeah. You, it, but it's not even that. It's more of floating that, like, you can't let go. Yeah. You know, it's it's your identity. Yeah. Um, and I was two people. I was Chris, the baseball player, and Chris, the professional partier. Yeah. I was a life of a party, man. Yeah. You know, Cat, I think Chuck Wega and his buddy Jimmy, they labeled me Category 5, Cat 5, because I was a Miami Hurricane fan. Yeah. So did Cat you know them five, back then? No. Oh, okay. No, but now, later in life, When did you know the Henderson five. brothers? Um, well, let's, Does that come let's, later? Yeah, it you, does, you give me the let's, order. Let's stick. I knew the Henderson. I knew Greg before his other brothers, but I met Lisa in like 2000. She was a uh, a beer tub girl at Barnacles and Barnacles in, in Brandon, <laughs> owned by John Smoltz, one of the Braves yeah, pitchers sure, yeah. and some people. So me and my friends would 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 frequent there. I love beer. Yeah. I love girls, and you know I can honestly remember the exact. It's almost like 
you know, the photographic memory, but walking through the front door, you know, it's about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And just on the right-hand side, there's this like long little beer tub there. And, and she was just, I had no idea at least was a beer tub yeah. girl and barnacles. Yeah. <laughs> Go figure, yeah. right? You, yeah. you find an angel in a place like that. That's right. But, uh, she was there and we kind of hit it off, you know, and just uh, she she was pretty outgoing at that point. What in an time. amazing dynamic woman, strong human being. She in her life is just I mean, the both of you yeah. have gone through so much and have, you know, in many ways, your strength has helped the other one get through. Oh, but yeah. when you say that she was, you know, from God, I, I, I definitely understand. And that resonates with me because. You guys have been at your strongest points at just the right time for each other in your life. And I think that's how you guys have gotten through some of the stuff that you've gotten through. Anyway, I don't mean to hijack your story. No, no, you're said. fine, though. But you're, so, you're right. That's, yeah. And that's a good good observation. And that's right. Iron sharpens iron. Yeah. And uh, I've put her through a bunch of things. But ultimately, you know, meeting her, um, she, you got to think, I got released from the Cubs. Night. This is 97, 98, 99. My grand grandfather dies. Two thousand, you know, late ninety nine. My grandmother dies. Yeah. Um, then my mother dies on and one of uh, Lisa and my first dates. Oh my god! So we go to Gasparilla in two thousand with some of our friends. That you know, it was one of our first times ever really hanging out. But I was an animal back then, man, and just it was day drinking that never worked well for me. Sure, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. I was yeah, a sprinter. A sprinter, you know. So, um, but my mother that day passed away right not far. You know, the, uh, the there's a big church right there on. On uh, is it Platt? The, oh yeah, a, yeah. There's a big a, a big AA meeting there now yeah, too yeah. on Saturday nights. Not the Greek one. No, it's right there on. Um, oh my lord! It's almost to it's almost to the Bayshore on the right hand side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, the, I know what you're talking about. There's a Presbyterian, a big I think old so. Presbyterian. Yeah, I think that's right. So right across the street from there, I think it might be Gordon Street. Uh-huh. My mother died right there in a, in, a, in a house there. Oh, she overdosed that same day of that gas. Oh man! So as Lisa and me are driving out with some friends to Gasparilla. Little do I know at that point in time, my mom, she's dying away, you know, uh, from her addiction. Um, and we, me and her at that time, that was a big burden because we, we weren't doing well because she had done some pretty shady things late in my grandmother's life and right. she was terminally ill. Right. And, uh, you know, I'd booted her out that Christmas a month and a half before that for my aunt's house for Christmas dinner because of some of those things. Yeah. And you can't take that stuff back. Fast forward to my own stuff that we might get into a little bit. And, uh, you know, I I do have regrets for the way because I didn't know. I wasn't a full-blown addict at that time. Mm -hmm. I was a substance abuser, enjoying life Mm -hmm. and being able to drink and party, but still kind of maintain some normal behaviors. Um, But we know or you may not know, but addiction is a progressive illness. Well, It ends up catching up to you. So, uh, you know, I wanted to talk with you about this, but I want to be respectful of it. And I know that you're very, um, this is a big part of your life now because you help other people. And so you've put a lot of thought into the proper way to talk about it and not to glorify things and not to make it seem like it's, you know, uh, an ideal situation. So I don't, I, you know, I want to be respectful, but I want to talk to you a little bit about it. At some point you've, you've discussed that you used, and at some point it started to become problematic for you. Oh, absolutely. And, and what did, how did that look? What did that look like? 
Well, yeah. And, there, and like I said, part of recovery, too, and you learn, um, because this could be like the I could, the stories I have, the things I've experienced are comical. I mean, you've told me. And that. I would. I would. Every time we walk from a concert in Florida, Atlantic or whatever, yeah. you run into a whole crew of people that oh, leads yeah. to you telling me about four or five stories about you being in back rooms with bands or you being, you know, all this other stuff. And it's just, it's so funny because the Chris I know and the Chris you tell me about are just worlds apart from each other. But. They are. And uh, you, 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 you just get m- more mature in, in the way that you handle things. And again, where I'm at in life, one thing that, you know, you don't want to glorify use to make it sound fun to people, especially if my nieces or nephews ever hear this, because we're, we're we, we do a lot for them too, trying to steer them away from that. Cause this world, right now is designed to just take you to a dark place yeah you know i've I've had two i've known two people in the past 14 months that have dumped off the skyway bridge yeah it used to be like a joke yeah me and my friends like hey you you know oh i'm gonna make you drive the skyway and jump off you know but now it's that's not too funny to me anymore because i've known people well you've had a lot of suicide and and absolutely so there's 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 this dark underworld this and the bible tells us it's not about flesh and blood it's about spirits and principalities and you look at the world today, that's, you see these things. It's not, we're not at war with people. We're at war with these underworlds, these spirits, these dark things that are, that, that are, that are destined from hell. But, and the, what I'm getting at with my, my, not to get off track on no. that, but yeah, you know, for me, like I said, after I got drafted, partying became a, a lifestyle for me. Right. It was fun. Yeah. I was never a user that was a, was a depressed user. I've, I was a happy user. Yeah, yeah. If I'm happy, if I close some loans, if if I struck out ten guys and threw a two hitter, let's hit that. Ooh, let's go hit the bar, chase some women, yeah. and let's have a blast. Yeah. Let's keep this thing going. Yeah. Well, come to find out, again, it's progressive. Every addiction, everybody who's addicted starts out as substance abusers. We know substance abusers. There's people in this world that can function and pound 12 packs, maybe do an eight ball of Coke on a Friday night and still go to bed Saturday and Sunday and live a productive life. Yeah, It's not probably a very good life if that's what you're doing later sure. in life. You're probably yeah, you're you got doing other some things, stuff. Right, yeah. But I w- I'm thankful for that. So as my addiction progressed, again, after I got released from baseball, you know, all the partying, you got to understand, I've tried that first year after I got drafted, smoked marijuana. I did acid, shrooms, cocaine, you know, uh, what's the other Crack, stuff? meth, heroin. No, never did that yet. That that came, not heroin, but, you know, later in life as that addiction progresses, um, you're trying to top the last day. You, you, you can't get as high as you got last time. And that's the truth. Yeah. And that's what you're ultimately chasing. And then. Where the partying comes in, now that depress, depression. Now you're just trying using, to even out or, 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 yeah. You're trying to mask that pain that my life had become. Right. So even though as I met Lisa and I was really, she was, I was, I was starting to peek out. Yeah. You know what I mean? And was just, she, was she aware of it at the time? Or? She thought I smoked marijuana, okay. which is acceptable to a lot of people, but I was lying. I had already started experimenting with, with crack uh-huh. and going in that dark world. Um, and it was just like I said, what happens is cocaine runs out at a party. And somebody's got that. Uh-huh. And guess what? That where I grew up in Claremel City, where baseball elevated me, 
now Claremel, this wonderful place I had great memories, became some of the darkest memories of my life. Right. Because now a lot of the kids I grew up and played baseball with were dope boys. Okay. Some of them. I shouldn't say a lot. And some of them wouldn't sell to me, but some of them would. Yeah. So I knew these people. I wasn't one of these guys who could just drive up into a middle of a neighborhood that I didn't know. Uh-huh. I was scared of cops. I was yeah. scared of getting arrested. Yeah. And But I was a guy that would go to a house, you know, new people, and then I could call and have it delivered. But it just, it, it got bad. And Lisa would hide it. And underneath all that, that fun and coolness, you know, she was... She was dealing she with was the, privately the, the, dealing yeah. with a with an out of control human being that she loved, um, but you know it was uh, it was dark and uh, again. Uh, when did you hit bottom? What was bottom? If you care to talk about it, well, or... absolutely. So you fast forward, we get married, and that's what a lot of addicts make the mistake about. We think that situations are going to change us. Yeah. Um, when it, it actually comes from within, right? So you know, Lisa and I uh, decide to get married. You know, in, in my mind, that's what I wanted in life. I wanted to be a dad. I didn't have a father growing up. I had my grandfather, by, you know, and I'm a biological. Sure. But I wanted to be a father. I love children my whole life. You see how I am with kids today. You Well, it's yeah, but not to cut you off, but you were talking a few minutes ago about these amazing men in your life. And what I love so much about that story is you have so become that man in other people's lives. Sure. So, you know, not to get off topic here, yeah. but I, we're going to get there eventually because but I love that. Yeah. You know, I love the fact that um, I love children. Yeah. You know, just because I was I was wounded. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was hurt. Yeah. You know, by not having a mom and wondering why she didn't want to be with me. So um, Lisa and I decided to get married. Well, guess what? That's going to change me. Yeah. You know, yeah. Have a, and I'll tell you what, it's still hard. It's funny, but it's hard to watch our wedding video. It was a great see, wedding. Yeah. I remember Dude, that wedding. I was, dude, I. It Where was, was I, I? I was there. Was it at the Hard Rock or? Uh, it was at the Hard Rock. Yeah, yeah. Night before we have, we and this is a funny story. And, and night before we have, uh, you know, the the party and the aunts and uncles. Uh-huh. And shout out to Uncle Norm and right. them because and and, and your your in laws, uh, Uncle John. I, I'm pretty sure I believe that they paid for our rehearsal dinner. And you want to talk about Mac Daddy and how blessed we were. You know, it's poolside Hard Rock. Yeah. All the open bar, Coronas and Heineken's, yeah. fajita bar. Yeah. And for a guy like me, man, I, I got started, you know, I was, yeah. and I'm in that mode, cat five. Yeah. So we all have our separate rooms, right? Uh-huh. And uh, we all go to our rooms that night. And Lisa, you know, obviously we're not together. So I've got me and my friends and we're partying. Like I'm telling you, now that you watch The Hangover, I look back, it was very similar yeah. because I wake up the next morning. And I'm, and this is the, the funniest thing ever. As I wake up with a horrible headache, like what happened? This is my wedding day. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I get up, my buddy, Eric, his wife, Roxanne's next to me, uh-huh. you know, face down, you know, we just had a fun time, but yeah. they're sleeping still, but there's down like a, like a pillow fight uh-huh. going on literally in the room. There's like this thick air and there's down floating around. And I look to look over and the mini bar is open. There's a Pepsi or a Coke in there. There's Cristal, Dom Perignon, all these things opened. And I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. What do I do? Yeah. I call downstairs. I'm like, hypothetically speaking, yeah. <laughs> if the mini bar only has a Pepsi or a Coke in it, how much money how do much I owe you? <laughs> money do, it was like $875. Oh, oh Lord. Shout out to Chuck Waygood. 
because he didn't want me. He was there yeah. and we were downstairs later. And that's when it all came to me because uh -huh. Jen Basiglio had reached out like, dude, we got to fix this. And I'm like, okay. And then Chuck ended up just flipping that bill, but oh, I ended up wow. paying him back. Yeah. But he covered that for right there just to kind of make, keep just, things, just keep put going, a bandaid on it. Yeah. Starting to drink, you know, there. And, uh, but in ultimately watching that, you know, video because we had an awesome wedding. Yeah. But I was, I just continued that other night and yeah. I'm break dancing. And I believe, I may be wrong, but I believe that's where the whole Ice Ice Baby uh, yeah. started. Uh, we all, and that's where the sunglasses, sunglasses at the wedding yeah. started. And, and it was just, a, it was an awesome get together. And thankfully we're still together. But I thought Lisa and myself getting married was going to change me. Right. And it didn't. You know, I yeah. started falling back into it. Um, and then we find out a year later, or not even a year later, but she comes to my work, hey, I'm pregnant. Oh my God, I'm going to be a father. Yeah. And so many addicts feel this way. Like, this is going to change be what does me. It. Yeah. It's not me actually getting help and figuring out why I'm using to the extremes I'm using. It's these things. This is going to, a baby's going to save me. Yeah. And guess what? The baby did save me because it made Lisa's, you know, her. She her, now had a priority that was woo! above you. And I tell you what, you, you don't get in between that woman Mom and her and child son, yeah. and any mother and a child. And uh, ultimately falling back into that darkness, um, Lisa, you know, you want to talk about some, some, some crazy stuff is on a bender for a day or two, you come home in our neighborhood. We all knew each other, you know, about Holly. You remember that yeah. neighborhood, town yeah. home neighborhood? Come home at like five thirty six and no, I'd say about seven thirty eight because people were out doing stuff, and um, ultimately, um, all my stuff, literally all my stuff, was in the driveway. Oh man! Like golf clubs, hurricane memorabilia, clothes. She wasn't having it anymore. Yeah, that was the greatest thing because it took me about a year, year and a half from that moment to hit a rock bottom. Because at first it's like you don't you, you don't look within. It's like yeah, screw it's you. Her problem. It's her. You're thing. messing this up. Da, 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 yeah. You know, and I'm gonna be my on my own. And guess what? You're on your own now. I don't have to listen to her little. Mm. You know, when I start using the calls, because she would call me relentlessly. She would, dude. Lisa would chase me out of these houses, and we we had. You want to talk about Claremel City? We had high speed chases through Claremel City through red lights because I wasn't done and she wanted me to be done. Yeah. And here's this girl like just, just. And if you knew Lisa, I mean, she's such a, you know, good, good, you know, that's not the life that she really came from. That's not the <laughs> life that she lived. And, you know, but she was, she was, you know, she loved me. Yeah. And she saw this great human being that 20% of the time, or maybe 40% of the time, or I'd say 60 then 40% of the time I was just messed up. Yeah. And she would, you know, just please don't drink today and this and it's that. It's such a hard and, thing as a as a family member or a spouse of an addict or a substance abuser because, you know, I've had discussions with you about my parents and their issues with sure. alcohol. And they're the, the oftentimes the most empathetic people, the, the biggest hearted, earnest people in the world, but they almost can't carry that burden. So they medicate. But you run into this dynamic where you're dealing with a person that is such a beautiful person that just has this part of them that 
you can't rectify it. You can't put them all the way out. You can't bring them all the way in. They just occupy this kind of territory in the middle that just, yeah. it's very unsettling. It is. And uh, it, it's, you're an enabler. Yeah. You know, and that's my grandmother enabled my mother. I witnessed my mother come through time and time again with these crazy stories. And my grandmother, just to kind of get her the hell away, would, would you know, give yeah. her money and, 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 and help her out. And, you know, but Lisa really wasn't an enabler, you know, Lisa, but she was madly in love with me. But fast forward to Nicholas being here. And that year and a half, you know, from after How, she kicked was that out. was that right from his birth? Was that like the first year and a half of his life, or yeah, roughly, roughly, yeah. You know, uh, like I said, I was I loved Nick with all my heart. I was so incredibly f- happy to be a dad. Was this around the time that you were working with Norman at his office? Or? Absolutely, yeah. That was in the midst of it all. Because I remember, so so my. Well, my cousin by marriage too, uh, Lisa's brother Norman is a, was a dentist uh, over here in Tampa, and you were working with him. I was going to him at the time, and yep. and I remember you'd had like a motorcycle accident. And you were living at the Salvation Army, or yeah, that was. But that's fast forward. Okay, sorry. You no, know, no, you're fine. You no, know, I want to hear. I want to hear the. I want to hear the. You know, details. when the when the yeah when the market. For mortgages, I was a mortgage broker. So, yeah, Slow down, we, we Norm. That it was part. so awesome. Nick was born. He was like, "Listen, you know, I'm having trouble keeping." Um, no, he had broken up with his fiance at that time. Him and Penny, uh, Penny, Penny yeah. had broken up, and she was helping him, and that was uncomfortable to keep doing that. So, dude, I'll tell you right now, hands down, greatest dental assistant ever was this guy right here. I, I would love it. Technically, the worst ever. Like I wasn't doing X-rays, but what do you? People hate the dentist. Yeah. You come in there, I have a conversation you with guys had, you. Had, he had the Coldplay playlist oh, going. Yeah. It was oh, the yeah. best. But, you know, I would talk to people and just take I paid him out. with a skateboard to do like a <laughs> yeah. Is that the one that Nick yes. was in that picture with? Yes. Yes. Yeah. We still have it. Nick, I bought it from beach. Brian Schaefer at uh, – That's so yeah. awesome. I remember you actually commented way back then. And I did, a, a pong a, – Pong board. Pong, yeah. pong pusher. Yeah. You know, you said – I was like, okay, I think cool. it was a girl, girl yeah. skateboards or something. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but helping out with Norm, but that, you know, again, that's uh, being a dental assistant, he just helped me out there, but that was still part of my addiction. Yeah. So, um, you know, and again, not to bounce around for, but let's circle back here. So I'm kicked out of the house, working with Norm though, still and living with my, one of my buddies and, but my addiction just that it caught fire. It was still man. going on at that time. Oh, it, it was the worst ever. Now okay. I didn't have a wife and a kid to go back to. You had no, I had nobody looking, to moor yourself it, to. Yeah. There was death. I was on death's doorstop. Yeah. I mean, I had met a woman, uh, you know, God bless her. I hope she's doing well at this point in time, but married with, with kids and, um, worked at this nursing home that I was managing, you know, doing some things there for some different accounts and, uh, and turned her on to, to drugs and alcohol. And she became worse than I was. Oh no! And, uh, but it also helped bring me to a point where, um, you know, I had to get help yeah. because we had used and used and that, that, ha- that room I rented out from my buddy became like this drug den, you know, of, of just darkness. And, uh, with that addiction, it's just, you're chasing it yeah. and it's just evil. And, you know, me and this girl ended up selling, listen to this. We, and this isn't to glorify, but just tells you where this addiction leads is you don't have a lot of money. Right. You know, my drug of choice is pretty easy to blow through tons of money. Yeah. Well, we take her paid in full Honda Accord to a dealership up there on Bears Avenue in Nebraska and we sell her car. 
for ninety eight hundred bucks. Uh-huh. So we go to Amscot. <laughs> yeah. Cash this check, and literally go back to the dope hole. And I'll tell you, the one time I, I thought I was going to die, and you wanted to say something. I'm sorry. Well, when you're when you're at Amscot with this check and you've just <laughs> sold a car, what's going through your mind right then? Are Drugs. You, but are you thinking about awesome. like this is so you're. You're you're in a positive state of mind. Absolutely, you're not thinking, God, I'm I'm circling the drain, just making not, horrible. Not at decisions. that point. Yeah, that's not there because it's you want to get that you're in that mode now. It's a cycle. Yeah, the addiction is a cycle. You have use being high, then you have the come down, you have the regret, uh-huh. you have that moment of trying that clarity for a moment, like is this. Yeah. And then that clock strikes 12 to use again. And, and that's where so many of us get caught in that cycle. Yeah. So heck no, we were like, man, I just like, whoa, we're going to be able to do this for a while. But fast forward three days, three and a half days later, my knee had swelled up. I'm on this bed of just not sleeping and just getting. But when we got back to the dope hole over in Claremel, uh-huh. I had all this money in the in my shoes. You're not going to carry this wad of yeah, 90, yeah. 9300 because you yeah. have to pay Amscot something. And then as I'm there, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. I look down. There's all these dope boys around. That, you know, I'm sure they would kill for 9300 yeah. bucks. Yeah. You know, they, you know, they're delivering drugs to me. Um, but I look down and I can see all these 100 bills just peeling out of the Sticking out of your shoes. shoes. And I just thought to myself, I dug him in and I told him we had to go. And But fast forward three days later, we're still up. Yeah. And I remember just being on the bed and I was tapped out. Yeah. And she was still using like in the bathroom. And and I just looked at her and I looked at myself and I just, I knew I needed help. And I broke down a little bit there. And I had some other moments previously where I was crying yeah. and, and opening the Bible and reaching out to to people to, to help. And um, I remember a few days later, I reached out to a gentleman. You may have saw, I did a little uh, like podcast with him a while ago at his, his little place. He's a mentor of mine now. Charles Young, um, he had steered me in all different directions, a very godly man. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was like, Chris, I don't know what to tell you, man. He goes, I, you know, I don't know addiction, you know, but I, I have a guy and he introduced me to somebody, uh, George Wood, part of the Timothy initiative. And that's where that, that positive side started to come back. Remind and, me before we end to tell you, talk to you a little bit about the Timothy initiative and how much you've helped me and one of my clients currently, but we'll, we'll sure. Back and here. that just, that steered me into, you know, so what year are we talking? This is two. Th- okay. Nick was born in 2007. So this was. 2000, the end of 2009. Um, How long have you been sober? Me now? Yeah. I've been sober since tw- uh, March 26, 2011. Oh, wow. So nine, over nine years, almost 10 years. So next March is 10 years. That's right. That's awesome. So, um, but I started getting into that, that recovery thing. It just, I didn't want it anymore. I knew that I didn't want to feel that way, even though I had some hiccups. You know, so I went to Timothy Initiative. Um, you know, I. It's very rarely a straight path to. Absolutely. Yeah. So it was one of these recovery houses, uh, you know, ministry, uh, Jesus Christ, which is still active and just showing you the love of Jesus and, and to steer men, uh, into a different way of life. And, uh, it's grown, uh, quite a bit since I've, I've not only has it grown, but you've really risen kind of to the top as leadership in some ways, haven't you? 
I wouldn't say, yeah, I'm, I'm on the board. Yeah. Uh, I've done a lot. I, again, I, I like to be bigger part of it today, but where I'm living and just with a lot that goes on with life, man, being a dad and a husband, I'm not as connected as I would love to be. Um, but yeah, I, I re- I've done a lot of mentorship there over the years, but I'd say Today, from maybe four years ago, I'm probably not as involved as I have been. Right. Um, even though I still, I'm still in contact. We attend board meetings. You still do way more than most people do. Yeah. Every holiday, Chris is is serving food to the homeless and you know addicts. You know, he, he's Salvation so, Army. Yeah, Salvation yep. Army. I mean, so your bad day is most people's good day. So don't. Well, yeah, and you know, but that all started with with just getting and figuring things out in my life and just knowing that. It's not events. It wasn't a, a, a marriage. It wasn't a, a, a child. It, it comes with, you know, getting a sponsor. Right. And I had, I, there's some people who can go to meetings and get sober. I wasn't one of those guys. I had to go to a rehabilitation center. Yeah. Shout out to the Salvation Army. Yeah. Because a TI early on, I couldn't stay sober. I yeah. got a job and then they're finally like, dude, I don't know what to tell you. You know, you can you can't stay here anymore. I can either get you into the south or I can get you. You can go back to what you were doing. And I was so close to going back, you know, and I and, they, and I'll tell you the power of prayer uh, and testimony is so important because they prayed over me. And, and one of my friends, Danny Mars, gave me a huge testimony about his time in the Salvation Army, because my thought of the Salvation Army at that point was I'm going to go live under an overpass and tents and, you know, <laughs> I'm Chris Bryant. Yeah. You know, I can't be doing that. Like, yeah, you know, here's crackhead Chris yeah. who can't keep his life in order. Like being, and that's what so many addicts do though. It's like they're in control. I'm willing to get help, but I'm not willing to do that. And that's always yeah. a disaster. Yeah. But his story to me said, man, the Sal was awesome. This is what it'll do. And, you know, ultimately I listened and, and the rest is history. I went to the salon and got sober. So one of the things that I think about, uh, and I wanted to ask you, and I'm sure everybody's story is different, but after you've got a good period of sobriety under your belt, do you, do you, are you still fearful of, of going back there? Is that something that occurs to you? Do you think about that at all? Absolutely. Or? There's, if you, here's the craziest thing, man, I wish I was still up to speed with that big book. Like I was early yeah. on. But this will probably be crazy to you, but using for people like me isn't a choice. Yeah. And a lot of people say, what do you mean? It's your choice to pick up. If I want to go get high right now or drink, guess what? You had to make that. It was a decision before that. It was a choice. Yeah. And the minute I make a decision that I've got this uh-huh. and I don't have a higher power that's control- helping me and my willpower is strong enough, you're done you're, 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 you're emptied out and you're going to fall. So I do have a healthy fear. Now, do I think about drinking or getting high today? No, but it's the little things that, that you struggle with. I struggle with every man's struggle, you know, women, I'm married to a beautiful wife and I don't sit there and chase women or want to be with them, but you know, you, you have, those thoughts at times, whether it's pornography that's, that drips into a lot of men. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook is horrible now yeah, in a yeah, lot of ways yeah. where, you know, just 
you know, the some the, being in our family at times, you know, at the beach well, with beautiful so, women. Well, you know, so, it's, well, that's true. It's and a then, struggle. Th- there's one thing specifically, and again, I want not convert. to be creepy. I'm not thinking of people's wives, no, but yeah. point being, you're at the beach you're, and sure. you're around other beautiful women. It's like you're a man, you know, yeah. and and it's just. But those are the struggles we have that you've got to kind of stay on top of. So again, and I want to be very respectful of this, but uh, we lost Lisa's brother Norman yeah. a couple years ago to suicide. That's right. And he was another beautiful human being. He was a colorful, you know, robust person who was just so much fun to be around. That's and right. He played such a big role in your life he and did. such a big role in her brother's life. And when that happened, I still remember being, it was the viewing and we were at the funeral home and I looked over at you and you just had this look on your face and it was, I, it was sadness, but it was appreciation because you were sad, but I could tell that you were exactly what Lisa needed at that moment. You're what you had, it was almost as though everything you had been through led you up to that moment to be finally for her, what she had been to so many other people. Yeah. Did that resonate with you? Did you think about that at the time? I did. And, yeah. uh, and that was, you know, I think I lost my grandparents yeah. and I was, I had, what did I have to mask? Yeah. You know, yeah. Drugs and alcohol. Yeah. So Norman's death was the biggest loss of my entire life. Like it'll made me tear up now. And, you know, I cried so much when that happened that literally i I wondered, where do tears come from? Like, how yeah. can my it, head, are they finite? You, they get, gonna, you yeah. get migraines. Yeah. Like, my, how does my brain is my brain leak? Am yeah. my brain like dry right <laughs> now? Because how am I producing? And then seeing her broken, and what a lot of people don't understand is is Lisa is the one who found Norm yeah. too. You yeah. know, and and we and here here's where I'm I'm thankful for my drug addiction. For a lot of us who have drugs and alcohol to mask that depression and to help us get by, you know, I can't imagine dealing with that depression with nothing. Yeah. And that's what Norm did. It happened quick. You know, it was on. So we started seeing changes in him and um, he never did drug. You know, he'll drink a beer here and there. Yeah. But I, I can recall one time. That I saw Norman drunk, uh-huh. and it was when the University of Florida with Tim Tebow won their first national championship. Uh-huh. We went and picked him up over in uh, off Beta Bay. There was this like bar right there around that little roundabout right. where you get off the crosstown, right. and he was just beyond the moon and yeah. just laughing and funny. And but he never really drank, yeah. so that home that he lived in, where he took his own life, you know, became this dark place for him. You know, he got out, but. Even in his letters, he talked about that. You know, it was a, a very uh, tough, a tough time. And I do think personally that um, drugs had a little bit to do with it because I think he suffered for years from depression just from a lot of the conversations he had with the family, right. his fears and his concerns. Well, their mother, they lost their mother Absolutely. at an early age and their families had yeah. you know, their own, their own yeah. travails. And he, you know, put a lot of faith in a lot of people and he just had these, 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 he loves and, his family so oh. much, such an empathetic and loving and such Absolutely. a, such a big cheerleader in his family. And I, you know, some of the things that happen in families, I think a lot of families, he, you know, had an impact on him. Absolutely. And he uh, just, you know, started taking uh, one of these sleeping uh, Ambien. Yeah. And he had told me and he had taken a few. And I'll tell you part of my drug history. (laughs) 
trying to come down off of cocaine, I try, I did Ambien yeah. just to try to sleep. Yeah. And it was the worst thing in my life. And I'm a big believer in that. Again, you listen to a Joe Rogan or something who loves to do like these mushrooms and stuff. Yeah. You're seeing these beings like I've seen beings and I'm not a believer that that's just your mind creating them. I think that you're seeing a different world. Realm. That's right. Yeah. There's a spiritual world. And when I woke up from this ambient, like an hour or two after I just passed out, I hallucinated like you wouldn't believe. I walked into my buddy's room. He was laying down watching TV and there was people like these these spirits around him. It was heavy yeah. and scary and dealing with that and and my thoughts i've done mushrooms yeah. i've done i could handle that and go back but i think norm might have experienced some of that but it also has you dig so deep like you look at yourself like man what is going on with my life and i think norm being at his age not married no kids brought a lot of things that he had did, stowed I think, away taken to the forefront that he, and he had he had this out of body almost experience where he just there was no other way and it was you know, and he just, that just pounded him. And for a guy that was just so. Was that, how many years is that now? I mean, 2000, I want to say 15 or 16. And and that that was right around this. Right before Lisa's birthday. It was July 13th. I yeah. Mean, Lisa's birthday was. Because I remember, because we go to Anna Maria every summer. It was yeah. around that time. I, I, you know, believe it or not, I had went um, the weekend before that all went down. Um Norm was down for the for the baptism for, for my daughter's baptism. There you go. Yeah, and he had went back home, and I had called him. You know, like, hey, why don't you, you know, come back and we're gonna we're cooking up steaks. And he was just like, uh, you know, I'm not feeling up to it. I'm like, dude, and I don't know what led me to do it, but I drove from Anna Maria and I said, I'm coming to pick you up. You know, you've got you, you, that. It's that thing, and I think it's a lot of thing with addicts, and a lot of thing with you. It's it, empathy is almost not a strong enough word. There, sure. there is a frequency that people who have dealt with pain in their life can spot it in other people. Yeah. Do you agree? I do, and, and uh, I think I think you are very acutely aware of it. I'm acutely aware of it, and so I'm not sure if that's what you're talking about here. But and it is. It's like I just wanted him to. I, you, you keep thinking you can will people to feel better. And imagine how many years earlier he was probably thinking that about you. Amen. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. And uh, so I drove down there, you know, picked him up, brought him back. And the whole time he was curled up in my passenger seat, just kind of in turmoil, you know, and like I'm talking to him and I started putting on some, some, uh, some praise and worship music yeah. and he just didn't want to listen yeah. to him to talk. Yeah. And these are signs that you grow and, and listen, there's nothing any of us could do when somebody's on a way to do something. Yeah. You always think you can. Yeah. You always second guess yourself for Monday morning quarterback um, because I missed the bar in a few. You know, like, man, you there's got to be. And I think that's where all of us need to be. There needs to be more intentional relationships and just, you know, talking through people and not being afraid. If you somebody's struggling to go, hey, I love you. Are, are you thinking about taking your own life? And I'm not saying this in a bad way, mm. but I love you enough to know that, hey, if you're having these thoughts, because I've, and even maybe even lying about it, if you never had them, but I've had them before too. Mm. And being able to talk people, because if you skate around that or you you think it, you you've got to present it. Yeah. Not that it would have changed, but if we fast forward and you know we go back home, it was a day later that that happened. We yeah. drove back from the beach. And then as we look in the letters that were left, 
I think personally, and I wish it would have, I wish I didn't go pick him up now that I know how it all ended where my wife had to find him. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, um, but you know, the letter was dated for that Saturday yeah. that I went there. Yeah. So he had, you know, he, he was already ready. I, there was borrowed time. Yeah. And that morning I got up to go to work. I can tell you like it was yesterday. He had slept. He came over that night, slept with us. We, we bought all of the star Wars. He just wanted to watch star Wars. Right. And we had Lisa slept with him on the couch. He watched star Wars. I went to bed, but that next morning we got up and he was walking over to his house. I remember as I'm closing the gate, cause we were next door at Nana's house. We were renting the yeah. house from yeah. Norm. He walks through the shared driveway into his house and I'll never forget how he just turned and like looked at me and there's that, that will always remember in my mind. You you just saw now that I know it was almost like it was, it was the goodbye, but it was like, you know, it was, I lost, I lost this battle, Yeah, you know, and, uh, it's, uh, it's horrible. It's a very painful thing to go through and so many people have gone through it. And it's and if anybody has doubt or ha- has guilt over that, I'm here to give you freedom over that. It's nothing you could have done. Yeah. There's nothing we could have said, nothing we could have done. These things are going to happen unless you you just you you, you can just predict the future and, and you baker yeah. act them. And, yeah. you know, and it's easy for addicts to do something like that or marchman act them. But for somebody like Norman, it was just like, hey, he's been through it. He's going to get through it. He's tough. He had a lot of things on his plate. You know, and, he, and my brother just, uh, just, uh, just tapped out. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But you, you have been such an amazing presence in the whole family's life since then and your friend's life and for Lisa and for your son. I mean, you have become a model father, you know, I, yes, I know no one's perfect. We all have these sure. things, but you're just, this is, this is why you're my hero. Yeah. You have, you know, I watched my, my parents struggle with this and they never got to, you know, that that bottom of the barrel, like what you're talking about. They were able to kind of live a life, but they never turned it around, you know, and I've seen you turn it around. And there's so much hope in that because it becomes such a hopeless spot, either if you're the person that's going through it or if you're the person who loves someone that's going through it. It starts to seem like this is never going to change. This is never it's just always going to be the same thing. And you know, I don't know what the numbers are, but you did it, yeah. you know, and you're such an amazing example for, for me, for our family, for your son. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm going to cry before you're going to cry. <laughs> but now, I mean, you and I have become such close friends. We both love music, live music. We, you know, gone to Slayer with, with the Henderson brothers and seen Deftones together yeah. and Queens of the Stone Age. Some great and, shows. And damn you, COVID-19. I know you're We had me. Tool lined up. Guns and, and Roses. Guns and Roses. Tam- Raymond James Stadium. I know. Damn you, COVID-19. Tell me, tell me just so we can kind of go out on somewhat of a lighter note. Tell me some of the shows that you saw, because I know you've seen some Lamb of God shows. You've seen some pretty, what, what are some of the crazier shows before our time going to shows together? Man, uh... The system of a down was an Where awesome was uh, sundome. Oh wow! Um, and that that was a Henderson story. Uh, yeah. Greg, awesome, awesome dude. And uh, uh, for the attorney friends of Henderson brothers, you know Greg Henderson is a prosecutor here uh, at the state attorney's office in Hillsboro, and now he's a private practice. His brother, I think, works for Father Doctor Henderson, who's yeah. like Plant City Brandon royalty. But they yeah. they do their their Zoot show that Chris and I love. We go awesome. to it at Crowbar. Shout out to Tom to George at Crowbar. Yeah, um, we go there every Christmas. After awesome, we come up, awesome show. Passage. But uh, anyway, so System of the Down. Who else? So let's just 
Uh, yeah, system. Let me tell you a little quick. Funny, I don't know how much time we got here. Give me some time for him. It's twelve fifty one, and my next guest doesn't come till two, so we can go another hour right, and ten minutes. But your son time. Nick's going to probably yeah, he'll, he'll start survive. clawing through the wall. Uh, give him that mask, that wrestling yeah, mask yeah. there. Um, but uh, so in, into Lamb into to System of a Down, and, and Greg comes and picks me up. Um, how did you meet the Henderson brothers? Well, it's not the Henderson brothers. I met the Henderson Greg. brother. Okay, believe it or not, Greg. I met through my buddy Adam Brick and Jason mm-hmm. Brick. Um, Adam, I believe, met Greg by cutting his hair okay. or through a hairstylist they got their haircuts at. And Greg just started hanging out with yeah. us. We, Jason had a little apartment there right outside, and Brandon, and we, you know, drink, smoke a little bit, mm-hmm. and um, and and play uh, foosball yeah. you know, all night yeah. and listen to music, like yeah. you know. But Greg really turned me on to a lot of the music I like today. So funny because I didn't know any of that side of him until I met you because yeah. I knew him. He looks like uh, Luke Wilson <laughs> or some movie star. He's a good looking guy and yeah. all the girls love him and all this stuff and he's kind he's of a clean cut. But, for that. Well, I've asked him to come on but he won't come on because yeah. he's too afraid. Well, he's, to, he's, he's just a chill dude. Yeah, man. And, yeah. uh, but he's, uh, but yeah, so you know, I grew up on Nirvana and I mean, I, I, very eclectic 80s. Like, you well, you definitely had something. the rap nailed down, but I also, I mean, but I know. You posted a top five album of all time. And I think I've, you've done it a few times. And this last one, I put Thriller at number one because yeah. Michael Jackson was such a big, but I had the Chronic in there, but like Nirvana and Alice in Chains. Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, we've talked at Dude, I love them. But, you know, Greg got me on to, you know, you know, System of a Down, Lamb of God. He's like, you got to check Gojira out. You got to check some of these bands out. And like, Man, he just delivered me to a lot. But I think, if I'm not mistaken, I might have got him on to Queens of the Stone Age yeah. recently. Like, he started getting in the air. He's like, throw me some songs. So I threw him some songs. But the S- System of a Down show, he picks me up. And this just shows you kind of, like, my concert ways. I had, like, all white Nikes and khakis. Yeah. And he's like, Really? Yeah. <laughs> and I had like a black shirt or something, yeah. or I don't even know. But I go there and needless to say, those khakis and those white shoes were never just, worn again. Yeah, just destroyed. Yeah, destroyed. But it was an awesome, awesome show. Yeah. Um, you know, seeing, uh, like you said, we went and saw Guns N' Roses. Uh, but I'll tell you, a great show, too, is U2. Mm-hmm. Uh, back at uh, junior year in high school, um, went and saw U2, uh, Big Audio Dynamite. Oh, wow. And this is how crazy it was back then. This is Tampa Stadium, basically a sold-out show um, that I called two weeks before using my grandma's credit card and uh, got me and my girlfriend at the time, who was a huge U2 fan. We ended up, there's two tickets left on the floor. We get them, and it's literally front row, right they had where the, the long big stage, stage comes, that comes out. out in the middle. We're right there. This, the like, edge is like right in front of baby us. Maybe or Zuropa or t- it might have been. It know. was with all the little cars. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't, yeah. I'm not the greatest at remembering albums, but guess who opened up for them? Let me tell you about how crazy it was. You told me this. You told me it's it's is it a rap group? It is. It, it was it wasn't Wu Tang Clan. Was a Public Enemy. Public, Public Enemy. Public Enemy. That's right. Public Enemy. Big Audio Dynamite. You two on the what same. What an amazing bill. show. Yeah, it was yeah, incredible. Yeah. You know. Loved all of those guys. And uh, so that was an excellent show. Um, you know, man, just there's just too many to name. You know, I think we went and saw Pearl Jam. Saw Pearl Jam um, together. We've seen show. Queens of the Stone Age a couple times. Yep. Um, you know, Hip Abduction. We do our Zoot show every year. Yeah. So, with, so Chris is my... 
we, we've got this plan as, as I buy and he flies. So, you know, I get the tickets, he drives and <laughs> it's, right. it's, a, it's a perfect union. That's right. So uh, anyway, so one of the things I just wanted to say, and thank you, I could probably tell you this off air, but um, so I don't say this enough on the show probably, but you guys know I'm an attorney, right? I, this, this is actually not my job. Uh, the podcast is what I do for fun. But uh, I had a, a young man who I've represented his family for, for ages, his mom and a divorce, his siblings and different things. And this young guy, really good looking kid, uh, tough upbringing, and he gets into uh, selling drugs. And uh, during one of his situations, he uh, meets up on Instagram or one of these things to to sell to these guys. And uh, they come and they beat him up and to take the drugs from Mm. him. And he was carrying a firearm at the time. And after they got done beating up, he stood up and shot at them. So I've been representing this guy forever. And this whole thing was caught on video. So yeah, there's uh, not a situation where you're, you're arguing about what happened. Yeah. You can watch it from every angle. And I said to him, there's not there's not a lot of meat on the bone here as far as much that I can do from you. So you're going to have to make community service your your morning, noon and night yeah. and really turn things around. And one of the first people I thought to reach out to was you because I was like, who's going to take this guy in? Because a lot of places won't take violent offenders in to let them do community service. Sure. And he had no priors. I mean, the kid had no prior record whatsoever. And uh, and he's beautiful. He looks he almost looks like a girl. And I don't mean that in, a, in any kind of derogative way, but he's he's tall and very defined features. I mean, you know, I just I just am like he is going to have a hell of time in prison. This guy is going to have a real rough time in prison. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, so whatever we can do to help him out. And I said, look, you got to figure out a way that you're going to do. I, I want you to be the Michael Jordan, the LeBron James, the Tiger Woods of community service. Sure. And so I reached out to you and you put me on at the Timothy, Timothy initiative sure. with him. And I think Salvation Army, he right now is getting close to 600 community service hours that he's done. He has just crushed it. Now, I don't know that that's going to ultimately mean anything. It could all be for not, but he has just squeezed every last bit of energy and, and, and everything he's got into this community service. And he's, he's gotten letters from some of the people at Timothy initiative and we're getting close where we're talking about sentencing and hopefully we're going to be able to get him a, a youthful offender departure. But, um, the, the the work that he's done and the friendships and the relationships that he's made there have made a big difference no, in his life, no matter what happens with him in this charge. So I wanted to thank you for that, yeah. for putting me onto that. And, you know, before we wrap up, if you want to use this platform to talk about, I mean, you talked about him a little bit, but Timothy initiative for people who might need it or Salvation Army for people. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's, if you know somebody who's struggling with addiction, alcohol, especially today, um, with this COVID-19 being locked down, um, we've lost some amazing people in recovery very recently. Um, also, just the amount of, um, I think there was a statistic like Zoloft is almost a, a drug that's almost out. Yeah. <laughs> They're almost out of Zoloft because people are We're out are of so coins depressed. and we're out of Zoloft. You know? yeah, but yeah. I'm saying like people are struggling. And uh, if you've got a, you know, because the Salvation Army now does have a women's center. If you know a woman um, a, a man, you know, that's struggling with addiction, you got to, number one, you got to quit enabling them. It's the toughest thing to do. Um, they've got to really want it. 
Um, but there's a there's a lot of places out there, and if you're looking to you know stretch your dollar, if you're looking for a uh, non for profit to uh, to donate to, um, the Timothy Initiative uh, is an excellent. Is that uh, statewide? Is that just a Tampa Bay thing? Where uh, Timothy Initiative is just a Tampa Bay thing. Okay. Um, we've got uh, one main house for men who live in that community, but we also have sober living houses um, that that uh, that charge you know a little bit of money, but you're living in a sober community. You've got rules and kind of it's that next step after getting sober that you can still have some accountability. Um, but um, TimothyInitiative.org uh, is uh, the website. Uh, I got a little bit of a story on there. So does my friend Michael Malpedi, who's the director. Because you now. tell your story now. You know, you, you've. There was a video that came out. I don't know if that was through the church or through the Timothy Initiative. or Yeah, there's been a lot. You know, when you get sober, like I tell guys all the time, when I do, I, I go back and you got to give back. But let me just finish this train of thought, too, um, is TimothyInitiative.org. Uh, if you want to give a few bucks, they can use money. Um, ultimately, we're housing men, you know, up to sometimes up to 16, 17 guys have a big house in Seminole Heights um, that, that, uh, that we've got to pay bills on. Um, there's men that have medical bills, men that need food, you know, just things that they need. Um, and, and it's the grace of God. So if you've got some grace in you and you, uh, you've known somebody who struggled and, uh, you've got a few bucks to spare, I'm telling you, um, it goes a long way. And I can, I can attest to the fact that it's being used in a very good way. Um, and definitely helping to, to make more Chris Bryant's of the world, you know, give these guys a chance at getting their families back and, uh, giving them the hope because the Timothy Initiative was a major, uh, major building block in my my recovery um, of getting sober and George Wood and all they've done and and that's I I can we can talk off air but sure. I've got some people that you want to talk about interesting people yeah man oh, I I've love, got a, please, I've got a list please, of people please, that please. you could really interview that would that would be a really good uh, good listen. Well, Chris, you know I love you. You're my brother from another mother. Uh, you're, you're probably one of my best friends. I'm so excited that you came down today. I'm going to call it. This is my best interview yet. Uh, <laughs> this is the best one ever. You get the MVP award. Um, I really appreciate you being so open and honest sure. and telling your story. Right. I think you're such a good example to people, and uh, I just can't tell you how much I appreciate you. I appreciate you, man. All right. Thank you. Take care, buddy.